0: These are originals.
1: This is Defending in Numbers.
0: Oh,
2: thank God the international break is over till March. This is Defending in Numbers, the podcast where we walk down the corridor of uncertainty, pretending to know a little bit more about football than we actually do. I, of course, am Rob Armstrong, a pretender, someone who judges football on emotion and pretty much what I'm told. And here to tell me stuff about football today, of course it's hot take Jake the Snake Entwistle. Jake, how are you?
0: Yeah, I'm great. I'm going to be telling you all the things about football today that you could ever want to hear. George,
2: you're the <laughs> other guest today. George Ellick, <laughs> that, was your big, that was your big introduction. Uh, what are you going to tell me about football, specifically last night in Oxford?
1: Well, it's going to be difficult if Jake's telling you everything there is to know. But uh, yeah, I was at Oxford last night who we were 3-0 down within about 15 minutes uh, at home. Good way to spend your Tuesday, missing the Champions League football. But I have seen it; I've caught up overnight, so I'm uh, I'm well prepared.
2: And I'll tell you a great way you could have passed the journey home. You could have gotten to Deezer, iTunes, subscribed to Defending in Numbers, rated it, shared it, subscribed, left a review, all those things. Done all before? Oh, of course you have. Of course you have. I I haven't
1: reviewed it. That'd be a bit weird because you're a Deezer geezer. (laughs) Yeah, indeed. (laughs) You haven't
2: reviewed it. Can't your, your own show. Oh, all the positive reviews uh, are me. I've got so many iTunes. <laughs> Don't accounts. say that. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I was going to
0: say, uh, cut that out.
2: Cut that out. As we walk straight into week by numbers, the week by numbers. First up, we're going to make Jake's day with the number 10.35, and that's the number of kilometres covered by Meza Ertzil versus Spurs, the overrated flop Meza Ertzil, the lazy Meza Ertzil, uh, man of the match against Spurs and to be honest it looked like pretty easy work for Arsenal didn't it Jake?
0: It was to be fair I had a smile across my face the whole game more because Shock. <laughs> <laughs> it was more more the fact that because that because he ran that distance he's now appeased everyone that doubted him and, and now people realise sort of how useful he can be because to be honest the best thing about that game was again his, his creativeness the front three finally again playing together Sanchez Lacazette and Ozil when they played together Arsenal have looked better and and looked like a great attacking side. And that game against Spurs ended our six-game winless run against the North London rivals. So it was a massive win for Arsenal and it was more of sort of a statement of intent. You, you would hope as an Arsenal fan and and from the club's point of view going forward that they managed to win 2-0. Now they're up against Burnley next yeah, week. I was
2: going to say level on points with the massive Burnley, aren't
0: you? So we're, uh, we're punching above our weight, it seems, uh, up there with Sean Dyche's side. But... Yeah it was just that game by Mesut Ozil was really good to see because with all the doubt about his future you're just thinking oh is he going to put in one of these performances again where everyone will easily blame him for Arsenal's 4-0 defeat to Spurs when it actually went the other way he created four chances he's now joint leader of chance creation in the Premier League most from open play racking up another assist and it was it was great to see him back to his best and Hopefully that will continue for the rest of the season.
1: And of
2: course, George is an explosive gif as well.
1: Uh, yeah, well, exactly. He, I think that was probably his biggest impact, even after his best performance in about a year. Um, but I think I think that you, know, you said the word lazy. I think that the people who who call are lazy are the lazy ones, basically. And the people who are going to look at this stat today and, and see that as being a sign that he's back are probably quite lazy as well. there's always been a player who who you know on the pitch when things aren't going well is never going to look like you're most active. But I think. You know, he's always worked pretty hard. Um, he's someone who I don't think is never going to grab grab a game by the scruff of the neck. But I think when Arsenal perform like they did on Saturday, and and the players like Ramsey and and Chaka are giving him a platform on which to to, to play, he's always going to be going to be that good. So it doesn't surprise me to see the stat. I think that it'll go in another circle if he does stay long enough at Arsenal that he'll be criticised again when Arsenal's chips are down again. Um, but it's, it's, I mean he's a fantastic footballer and a mass mass asset to that club and hopefully. Um, matches like that on Saturday will, will help persuade the fan base and, and, and the management to continue to keep the faith.
2: Is it a turning point? Because Arsenal seem to have this every season. Mm. But you I, know, they, they get through, they sort of stumble through one horrible month, have three great months, then think, have another horrible month.
1: I, th- I think because of the fan pressure on Wenger, bad situations at Arsenal are massively exacerbated. I don't think there was ever a stage this season. I don't think there can really be a stage unless you know you do a proper Chelsea from a couple of years ago. It, when you, When you're in November, mid-November early November where you're in crisis because it's just a couple of defeats which doesn't take long to get back into it You know, whilst Arsenal may be level on points with Burnley they're two points behind Spurs this is a Spurs team who three weeks ago we were saying were the only people who could challenge City for the title um, a couple of bad results from City and suddenly everyone's going to be closing the pack with them so I think that Whilst it's unlikely this is going to be the trigger for Arsenal's season to, um, you know, to really push forward towards the top end, I, I do think there was another reaction in the first place and they're still well set for a top four finish. Arsenal are going to win the league, Jake?
0: Yeah, well, we're on our, current, uh, our best ever winning streak at the Emirates Stadium in the Premier League with 11 games. So, as George has said, these bad situations, the games that we've played and won are ones that you'd expect to win. But that's something, again, with Arsenal, you associate with... Yeah, they might turn up for one big game. Usually, Man City away was quite a big game that we did well in. Uh, also against Chelsea recently, but we've beaten these teams at home. And Arsenal now, uh, you'd hope, have got that platform. And, and as George said, it's it's funny how it takes this numbers of kilometers covered by Meza Ozil for him to be appreciate <laughs> for him to be appreciated he's
2: run 10.35 yeah. yeah. kilometers for but, people's but, approval yeah exactly. but, but also, that's what
1: I mean you know running stats are fairly uh, misleading anyway because it, it can tell a lot you tell you a lot more about the game itself I think the fact that Spurs are such a high intensity team even though they didn't turn up particularly on Saturday I mean that the start of play was still the same it was still a high press they were still trying to shut down every ball and that's mm. inevitably going to lead to it's a very frantic game I mean, I don't know the exact stat, but the pass uh, pass completed in the game is much much lower than you expect from either team mm. because it's a derby, and that that in itself is going to lend itself probably to a more energetic performance. So, whilst Ozil was was, was rightly man of the match and the standout player on the pitch, I think that ten point three five is probably the the one stat that is that is fairly yeah. innocuous in in <laughs> in, in that play, in him getting there.
2: Well, let's talk about uh, ground covered and energetic performances because Zlatan Ibrahimovic came back this weekend and immediately stood straight up front and told Romelu Lukaku to go out to right wing so uh, he could stand there and basically get the ball pinged at him. But the number is 216, and that's the number of days between the Zlatan's last two Premier League games. Obviously, that ACL injury? Yeah. Same as me. So I'd ruptured my ACL two weeks after Zlatan Ibrahimovic. He's just (laughs) returned. I haven't even had surgery yet. (laughs) Uh, So I'm clearly not a lion. Basically, all those players coming back from Man United, and... Straight away, they turn it back on. Pogba, huge, huge, huge impact. Lukaku on a bit of a scoring drought. Obviously, that's ended now, but now mm. they've got that second option and they're going to start going to how we thought they were at the beginning of the season where it's, we said these two, Man City, Man United, are a step above everyone else. Is that going to be the case again now they've got their players back?
0: I think I think the Pogba returning is is the massive thing. As you just said, when he came back, they they finally had someone in the field that they've been relying on Nemanja Matic to sort of... Do his screening job, but then also bring it forward. Now with Pogba, he's got his partner back, where Matic can do all the clean everything up, give it to him, and then you've got Pogba playing every pass and and trying to make things happen. Um, just for Ibrahimovic, I think he's played this absolutely perfectly from sort of his sort of PR uh, viewpoint because he's he's come back and immediately said, "Oh, by the way, my knee injury was was much better than anyone else knew, uh, much worse sorry than anyone else <laughs> knew." So he's sort of like, not only have I come back in seven months. I've also done it when I probably should have been out a year. And his first shot on target, or his first shot was, was a scissor kick. It's quite, a scissor kick it's, yeah. quite, it's quite Trumpian And my knee injury was the best knee injury ever. Yes. Yeah. It's, like, <laughs> it's that a
1: similar like mentality of like ensuring that people understand that you know yeah. it's all it's all about him even off the pitch.
2: A year out, sad. <laughs> yeah, wrong. Seven months. Two hundred
1: sixteen days actually. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I do think that you that have to exercise caution here again because. Um, United have had absolutely no trouble dispatching the worst teams in the league all season we saw that with West Ham uh, early on oh, we, yes. we saw it, we saw it <laughs> at Swansea and that, that four goal um, you know, seems to be a staple of theirs when they're taking on uh, worst teams and I think the Pogba
2: But Newcastle aren't that bad, are they? Newcastle have done alright so
1: Newcastle aren't that bad that's, that's no, they, my glowing so fine. my glowing you know, I mean I I, I I do agree with you but at yeah, the same Swansea time Swansea and West Ham are yeah fine crap. yeah I but I, I think in a, in a weird way I mean this is another conversation but I think that uh, Newcastle taking the lead didn't help them at all in that respect well, um, because it just meant that it just invited United onto them and, and, and you know created a basically clinical siege of of, of talent in effect and it, and it meant they sat back further which probably makes them a worse team in itself um, but I would um, yeah, I, I would say that Pogba will help but there's still got to be question marks over Pogba's um, output in in these big games. We've, you know, it's been t- said time and time again that Lukaku is is totally unproven in big games as well. So, whilst you you can't argue that um, it, it's going to benefit them, I do think that Pogba has Pogba's stature for Manchester United and in the Premier League has grown whilst being injured. And he's now got to actually do it on the pitch to prove that he, has, he is the missing piece of the jigsaw. And that performance at Newcastle, whilst great, it, it isn't quite enough yet for me.
0: I, I think for Man United, from to be sort of the antagonist to that, I think the, the games that they'd won 4-0 previously, they'd actually gone 1-0 up and then they'd been yeah. incredible counter-attacking team. Like they'd have Martial on the pitch that would wear someone out and it would be 1-0 and then they'd bring Rashford or, or vice versa and that's when they won 4-0. So the fact that when last season they could not break down a team... Even if they'd gone so, if, especially if they'd gone one nil behind, I thought the Newcastle game when it was one nil in my head, I was thinking, I know they're probably going to get something, but it'll be a last minute Zlatan so yeah, yeah. header, and we'll have this monologue about the lion returning. But the fact that they won four one almost surprised me. And like, again, it's mainly through, as George said, like a siege of crossing the ball. They've actually crossed the ball more times in the Premier League this season than any other team. So there's a clear sort of tactic uh, with Ashley Young coming back in the team. That they they want to use that aerial dominance that they have. If when Fellaini comes back, Jose <laughs> Mourinho, Jose Mourinho towards the end of day uh, end of games could have Ibrahimovic, Lukaku, and Fellaini all in the box. Uh, that. That's that's. Well, made Martial for, and Rashford
2: were great. Look, well, Rashford's header for the, for the yeah. Third yeah. goal was brilliant, wasn't it? And yeah. then Martial's header. Who, he, who expected he Martial c- to yeah. bang in a header? He, the, was it was top corner whatever. No, he just
0: cl- he climbed massively yeah. for that, and that that was his first goal he scored when he started a game in the Premier League. So. I think there were good signs from that game. Uh, George is right. You, we can't, again, just all of a sudden say, Pogba's back, now Man United will win the league again. Pogba. But, exactly, we can't get carried away by the hashtag. Pop Caution. Yeah, Pog Caution <laughs> is probably the best one to go forward with. But I think Paul Pogba is a big difference maker... He will eventually make the difference in those big games, and just everything goes through him. He's top of nearly every metric for Man United since he joined the club, and I just think funneling the ball through him is their best option, not necessarily relying on Ashley Young's brilliant crossing ability. So, definitely towards Pogback than
1: Pogbollocks, I reckon.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's take the Pogbollocks to Spain, uh, where we're going to talk about Valencia and the number 30. So, they've got 30 points after just 12 games so far this season. Valencia, we've had. Let's face it, a pretty turbulent kind of ten years more or less. Mm. Worse Club, than that. Co- I'd yeah, say, yeah, constantly in sort of financial disarray. Uh I can't really remember them being consistently good since the David Villa days
0: and maybe the rapper Benitez days. David Villa, David Silva, and Juan Mata. Oh, mm. The that dreams. Nice, that. They were churning out some talent. And like.
1: aging Pablo Aymar as well, just pulling yeah. strings. And and somehow
2: it all went kind of wrong. But this season, they're back. Led by Simone Zaza, of all people. <laughs> Simone Zaza, who is outscoring Cristiano Ronaldo in the league. Well, the whole of the BBC. All, oh yeah. like, Pretty much Real Madrid aren't scoring too many, are they? But Simone Zaza is outscoring Ronaldo. Last year, I saw Simone Zaza struggle, and I mean really struggle, against Accrington Stanley. and now he's outscoring Ronaldo 12 games into La Liga season I
1: remember Chelsea no Chelsea Macclesfield I think it was and Mo Salah was comfortably the worst player on the pitch with both teams (laughs) in the FA Cup and now look at him Um, I think that Valencia is exciting because it's representing in in an age now where basically these smaller European clubs not that Valencia is a small club but clubs who are overachieving in Europe I think generally follow quite a similar recruitment strategy where it's it's basically young players um, that they are, are you know, extensive scouting networks, are, are, are locating and then selling it on for profit. Whereas Valencia is a bit of a kind of a stopping off point for for people who've who've who have been misfits at bigger clubs. Um, if you look at Zaza as you mentioned, uh, maybe not maybe West Ham on a bigger club, but his career has been similar. Gabrielle as well, and um, from Arsenal's there as well. I think it's it's interesting to see. And then they've got class acts like Parejo as well. I mean, I think that as you mentioned, it's a club who's underachieving, but I think they're showing there's value to be found at those players who have been invested in. Buy clubs with, with good strategies and good re- recruitment systems. Um, who fail to settle in, and then they can basically go and pick them up on the cheap, and then try and tap into whatever it was that they that they initially initially
0: found, initially found and, and liked. And I think Marcelino, the manager, deserves credit for that. They've got them playing like a really exciting brand of football. They've scored 32 goals in the league of this season, which is only one fewer with Simone Zaza Exactly, on the pitch. Simone Zaza and Rodrigo <laughs> out front are really good. They play. Kondopi is another one as well. Sixteen
2: between them, isn't it?
0: Yeah I think so Mm. It's it's quite remarkable Um, They're one of the So Benzema and Ronaldo Are famously recently The worst GR in Europe Um, (laughs) Zazar and Rodrigo Are up there With with some of the best And they play this really good Counter-attacking style They've scored the most goals On the fast break In the Liga this season And they only average 48.6% possession Which shows that it's a really exciting brand of football in the fact that when they get the ball, you know they're going to go forward and try and do something with it. Scoring 32 goals with less than 50% possession is is impressive. And and as George was saying, getting these sort of misfits, the one player that I think is catching everyone's attention the most that isn't their own. They've got Carlos Soler, who's a who's a very good youngster that's come up through Valencia and Santi Mina as well. But um, Gonzalo Guedes, who is on loan from PSG, uh he was a misfit in the fact that PSG bought him for a lot of money um from Portugal he didn't really play any games he's gone to Valencia now and now he looks again he's the one that everyone's he's getting all the fans off their seat and he's the one driving these counterattacks with this pace and dribbling so I think they play a really exciting football they're obviously still unbeaten Barcelona is still unbeaten and they meet at the weekend so this will be the biggest test because Barcelona for all their uh for all that went wrong in the summer uh I've only conceded four goals and they're top of the league easily so if valencia can do something against them then they cut the gap to one point and open it up for real madrid again but mm. it'll be really good to see valencia fight all the way but you just think no matter how well they've started they're gonna eventually fall to the
2: you have to worry it's like valencia will might probably become valencia again halfway through yeah <laughs> i'll right get to january and they'll sell everyone that's <laughs> playing well and. Well, I th- replace the manager with Gary Neville.
1: I think Valencia would tape coming Valencia again if it means that they're the fourth biggest team in Spain though and that's probably yeah, the aim at the moment. At Europe, yeah. Yeah. Talking of
2: Ronaldo and that, they scored six on Tuesday night, is that going to be a little bit of a turning point for them maybe because that is a club whose season needs to kind of kick on a little bit.
0: I don't think a 6-0 against Apoel is going to necessarily get them back into confidence but Ronaldo broke the record for most Champions League goals in a calendar year scoring two he's he's got 18 he's like he's got one two and three on that list he scored eight goals in the champions league this season and one in la liga his form in the Liga is documented and, and one goal from 55 shots is obviously very poor but he i don't think he's poor and, and real madrid if you look at the expected goals figures for for real madrid they actually should have scored more than barcelona according to some models and and they've got 11 less so real madrid themselves have Again, you could argue that Zidane's tactics sometimes have been a bit just one-dimensional. Again, they cross the ball a lot. They're actually the biggest crossers in the whole of Europe's top oh, five leagues. will go there next though. Exactly. <laughs> they, should, they should have got him in, really, to help out. But I think Real Madrid, yeah, the fact that they are, again, I know they lost to Spurs and they didn't play well in either game, really, but I, th- I think they'll be back in the league. And as we said, Valencia have come out of the blocks really fast, but it's 12 games in. Real Madrid will be up there by the end and, and Ronaldo will definitely be in the goals, I I think.
2: Also going to pick up Ronaldo on a free in January. Wouldn't take him. Wouldn't
1: um, take him. No, no, <laughs> One we goal we, in the league. We, we do, yeah, exactly. He shoots too much. Um, it is. I think talking about Applewell I think if I was a, an op, if I was a manager of a Spanish club, watching that game, I think I would pretty quickly realise that you don't really want to um, leave too much space in behind against Madrids. Um, I think it's just telling everyone probably just to sit back a bit and uh, and probably just try and stifle them rather than. Um, basically, laudably going quite, quite attacking because that's what led to Apoel's undoing, really. All right, let's talk about England's Apoel, and that's West Brom. <laughs> we obviously <laughs> had to say goodbye to their dearly beloved
2: Tony Pulis, one of the most popular <laughs> managers in the Premier League this season. <coughs> West Brom fans hate Tony Pulis, and that's probably because the next number is 105, and that's the number of Premier League goals West Brom scored under Tony Pulis in 106 games, less than a goal a game. Who
1: do you think was happier about this? West, ha- West Brom fans or, or Pulis himself about the news? He seemed, when he gave his interview at the end of the game,
2: he seemed like he was kind of asking to be let go, yeah. didn't he? <laughs> he was giving a speech without having been sacked. Basically saying, well, you know, the owners are good people and they'll probably make the right choice. I'm sure, I'm <laughs> yeah. sure I'm probably gone and it's a good decision from them. It's like he was Begging for yeah.
0: it. Well, he's never been relegated, has he? So he probably no. thought, "Oh, my, my, my that, one, my one defining feature is under threat. I that, need to." But, I but need that's to leave. why that thing, is, that that whole never been relegated thing, yeah. is, is just
1: so st- stupid. Because yeah. basically, if you if your manager's been relegated, the chance are you've probably taken over once the damage has been done. So yeah. and big tones managed to get out <laughs> and leave <laughs> this relegation up to someone else.
2: But, but yeah. yeah, what what about Tony Pulis? Because everyone said, everyone's made the same joke about oh well the West Brom owners have sacked Tony Pulis and next they'll be looking for oh, Tony Pulis uh, what are they going to look for next I mean Big Sam's been knocking about with Everton and flirting with the state's job but I don't think he'd go to I,
1: d- I don't know Brom, really. I think that I think you know they got, they got new owners in it at West Brom about 18 months ago who I think are or two years ago I think are much more ambitious than maybe um, the Pulis I mean Pulis was already there when they came in I think that it wouldn't surprise me to see them go fairly ambitious to look quite left field. I know there's been talk about McInnes, who's actually done a fantastic job at, at Aberdeen, so that could be interesting. But I do think that um, in terms of budget, um, you know, the current squad isn't quite there, but it, it's not that dissimilar to, not Everton, to Everton. I
2: think they're missing maybe a, a,
1: striker, a striker like Rondon's yeah. not being fit, but, 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 but it's more you know you you haven't got many fullbacks. You've got you've got a lot of centre backs because mm. it's, it's purest ball. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I would. I wouldn't be surprised if they went for someone uh, slightly unexpected, um, rather, rather than it kind of what you'd think a West Brom appointment would be.
0: Yeah, I, I think they should as well. Um, I think, as you said, with with the new owners and and the way the players, the sort of players they've been buying, it sort of suggests that there's a deeper recruitment plan. It's not. It's not as as we've spoken about before the sort of lazy strategy of, oh, who's played in the Premier League? Have they played in there for five years? Yeah, let's get them in. Mm-hmm. Uh, the recent signings like the Krakowiak on loan from PSG I'm not saying that he's necessarily done well but that sort of recruitment uh, suggests again that there is ambition they want to attract players that Krakowiak's won uh, the Europa League a few times and, and was very good at Sevilla so I think West, uh, West Brom have the opportunity now to, to appoint a manager that as George said is a bit left field and and the, the Although they're in a bad position, I think the platform is there to do something fairly good with that club and, and West Brom fans will almost be f- uh, forgiving if anyone comes in and tries to implement a philosophy because they've been used to this West Brom-Tony uh, Pulis philosophy for so long that they are probably absolutely desperate for change or any sort of attacking intent. So I think there's the manager that comes in will have a bit of a grace period in the fact that they'll be willing and open to something new and Tony Pulis going sort of fills the vacuum of let's move away from just getting a relegation specialist in or or someone that can win he won manager of the season uh, not winning the league and he's only one of the four managers to do that mm. so he's obviously talented at what he does and keeping people up it was on that Crystal Palace season but even if West Brom go down maybe they just need something like that to rebuild and not be clinging on to Premier League status because well, that's what that's what drives a sort of boring approach I, to the game I think
1: there's also been some interesting stuff written I think mean, uh uh, Roy Smith wrote something for the New York Times saying that um, these days, because the, cause the top six is so ingrained, and because it's it's fairly unlikely that anyone else is going to break into it, um, kind of surviving and playing and playing uh, not a very good brand of football isn't going to be enough anymore. Because you're going to have to appease the fans in a different way. If if you know seventh place is your top target, then fans are going to expect to be to be excited by the football they're seeing every week. Whereas lumping it long and and, and not being very easy on the eye and finishing ninth who's the winner you know I, 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 I think well, I, I, I think the West Brom would probably West Brom fans would probably have a more enjoyable season winning the championship than coming than, than finishing mid table in the Premier League and, and playing ugly ugly yeah. set-piecey nasty football
2: where's uh, Pulis going next Do you reckon they'll take him at Benevento I need him. Uh, <laughs> I
1: need him Thirteen. that would be absolutely brilliant if you went out there and saved them then, then I'd doff my captain Pulisinho yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> no no. Pulis, where was it Aladici wasn't it what would, the, what would the Italian Pulis be Pulisici?
1: Pulisic, that's someone
0: else. Well, he's <laughs> Croatian, <laughs> yeah. Pulisini. Yeah. Pulisini,
2: yeah. There you go. Antonio Pulisini. <laughs> Let's move away from my Italian onto the next number, number nine. And now we're talking about Mohamed Salah, who I would say is certainly up there in terms of signings of the season in Premier League so far. The player that left Chelsea is not the player that has joined Liverpool this year. He is scoring all over the place. Scored on uh, Tuesday night as well in the Champions League against Sevilla. Did he not? He didn't score on a...
1: Firmino twice. Firmino twice, Mane.
2: Am I imagining things? I am. I clearly am imagining things. But regardless of what happened on Tuesday, forget Tuesday. Forget the Champions League. Salah's useless. He's scored more goals than any other Liverpool player in history after 12 Premier League games. That was Robbie Fowler before. and Of course, he was God, was he not? So what does this make Salah also God? mark two,
0: yeah. So scoring nine in his first twelve, he's he's a top scorer as well. It's not like he's scored nine and everyone else is banging them in. He's he's genuinely top of the Premier League goal scoring charts at the moment, and that in itself deserves huge. He deserves huge credit. And I I personally, when they signed him, I thought it was I I knew he was a good player, and I thought he was going to do well, but I didn't realise how many goal scoring opportunities he found himself in. I knew that he had a decent goal scoring record at roma but i I wasn't quite sure how he was doing it and i think the the way he works with firmino is perfect for him firmino is the one that's dropping in and and sort of if they channel every liverpool seem to channel a lot of their play down the left because that's coutinho's habitat he's either playing left wing or or the left side of those midfielders and then that leaves Solar unless they're countering and he's carrying the ball forward Solar's ghosting into these back post areas and sort of and getting in the box and getting a lot of shots away. So he's almost playing as the like false they've got Firmino who's false apparently nine. this false, false... seven. <laughs> yeah, is this false nine and then Salah takes his space and salah's had the most shots uh of any Liverpool player. He's had the most shots on target in the Premier League this season. So for a winger to be getting in those positions, um, and not necessarily having a lot of on the ball actions so someone like Alexis Sanchez and and Richarlison for Watford this season they've had a lot of shots because they're that left winger that always demands the ball cuts inside shoots whereas Salah for me is more about the fact he's getting in the box and getting those shooting opportunities so yeah to be to be breaking records that Robbie Fowler set for Liverpool um he's obviously made a massive impact and, and Liverpool fans love him but signing of the season as well early stages you could be leaning towards him, but there are a couple of yeah. other candidates, I think.
2: I mean, you can never you can never trust the first 12 games. No. Either, because What was, that, what was the uh, Amir Zaki, do you remember him for Wigan? He'd yeah. scored like yeah. 11 by now. What is it with
1: Egyptians and, and fast yeah. starts? Start.
2: <laughs> yeah, but George Salah, because well, I have watched a few Liverpool games this year, clearly not the one on Tuesday. I <laughs> forgot them. I, I saw the goals as well. I was watching that goal show. It just shows all of them. I don't yeah. know why I thought he scored. I can't. I can't get over it. <laughs> yeah, but I was under the impression for the games where I've watched, watched Liverpool this year that Salah takes like millions of shots before he gets his goals. But then they were saying on that that he's got one of the best chance conversion rates or something. I, look, you're the stats guy. I think I don't know. I
1: think you've just kind of hit the nail on the head there because I think that classically maybe he's been more wasteful. I mean, he's always scored goals to be honest, and he, and he did so Roma for the last couple of seasons since leaving Chelsea. But. Um, I I th- I think that this is unsustainable basically. Um he has never been as clinical as, as he is being now. Um this fast start is great but it's 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 unfair on him and probably unlikely that he'll continue scoring at this rate. That's not to say he won't continue to get into goalscoring positions that Jake uh, mentions, but um it'll probably revert to the mean again and he probably will start missing chances and right wingers generally don't score a, nearly a goal a game rate for certain, for a reason and um yeah, I mean, he, what a, a fantastic signing! It looked like a good signing before they got him, and, it, and it's proven to be as such so far. Um, but I, I, I would exercise—seem <laughs> to be saying this a lot—I'd yeah. uh, exercise caution again before getting too excited about about Salah. caution.
0: But his so his conver- so forty-two shots is a lot of shots to get nine nine goals. I know he's top scorer, but that that conversion rate is twenty-one percent. So that's that's not yeah yeah that's not actually. Huge. It's not like, oh, he's scoring every other shot. Like Falcao no. at the beginning of the season had scored yeah. 13 from 16 shots. <laughs> Rashford's first uh, that, few games, United. <laughs> exactly. That's unsustainable. Whereas Salah, if he keeps getting, so 42 shots, as I said, 26 on target, he's getting a lot of chances and, and that shows that he's missing some. He has put some straight at the keeper or he's had smashed some wide. So the current rate he's going at, he'll be on, if he sustained it, which we've said could be could be 20% isn't, isn't yeah. uh, a ridiculous conversion rate but that means if he stays at this rate he'll be getting 28.5 goals so 28 or 29 by the end of the goal. season <laughs> I know he'll be the first ever player to do that as well yeah. there's a stat for you I can't see him getting 28 goals but he's definitely going to score more goals because of the because of the way Liverpool play yeah, yeah, and right. because of and because of that system as I said they're using him as that he comes in and tucks in and becomes a forward and also can lead one man mm. like when him and Sadio Mane break They've shown already this season yeah. that you can't catch them. So I feel like with the Playing the Theo Walcott role at the back post. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> feel apparently. like with Liverpool,
2: it's quite a nice position they're in, attacking-wise, because if one of them goes out of form, if Salah stops getting in those goal-scoring positions, Mane probably will. Mm. And then if both of them are a bit off, then Coutinho will start shooting from outside the box, which obviously he makes his living by doing. <laughs> and then if all of those three aren't firing, they've got Firmino as well, who's just kind of a classy... And he scored two on Tuesday. No, he didn't. He scored one. No, he scored two. two. (laughs) (laughs) uh, uh, Who scored? (laughs) Uh, From this embarrassing moment where I can't work out who's who in Liverpool's attack, let's move on to the next section, which is conveniently named, I'm embarrassed to ask, or try and remember who scored for Liverpool two days ago. I'm embarrassed to ask. Umar Niasi. I'm not the only one who should be embarrassed. Because he has gone and got himself the dubious honour of being the first player ever, and I'm going to have to look at the sheet to remember what the actual charge is, to be involved in the successful deception of a match official, as known to the layman as diving. Uh, But how is he the first person that's been caught of it? Because you see it three times in every game. Mm. And he's been banned for it, whereas if you get caught on the pitch, it's just a yellow card. So it seems a bit odd to me that they'll charge it. And then when, when you look back at it, he is running at full pace, and don't get me wrong. There's not a lot of contact, but there is some contact. How have they managed to come to the decision where they're going to ban him for two games, when if you do an outright, blatant dive and get caught on the pitch, it's a yellow card. So,
1: uh, I think the key distinction is that they profited from his dive. Um, they got a penalty from it, and that you know, if you dive and you don't win the penalty, then you're not profiting from it. You get a yellow card, so you're you know you're almost being punished for succeeding in your in your deception. Um, but I do agree with you that in this case I think it's harsh. I don't think that you could say with hundred percent um certainty, having watched three plays back, that Nias is uh, simulating contact in order to try and deceive the, the referee. Um people out there who who seem to think that there is no distinction between it's either a dive or it's a foul, that, that's not the case. There can be contact and it cannot be a foul. He, someone can go over and wave their hands around it cannot be a dive. Um Whilst I think that it looked fairly, I mean, it looked very, very soft. If anything, um, I do still think that uh, for the first person to get to get suspended for it, it should have been a very, very, a more clear cut one. Mm. So I think this is now going to open a can of worms. um, Where what's the
2: panel as well that decides
0: it? Do we know? I again, I think it just gets to one of those secret refereeing boards, where so no ex pros. (laughs) <laughs> so uh, I don't think so. I think it's. I've never played more, the game. I think it's more <laughs> officials. So they don't. Yeah, they don't know the game, but it's <laughs> they're the, not. Uh, well, it's that's just, that's what everyone says. You've never so. played. Just you've t- never died. T- d- d- d-
1: d- just just students of the game <laughs> who yeah. literally you had to t- take exams know, in order to be able to officiate in it.
2: Well, Jake, so you're you're a quick person. I've never run quick, so I wouldn't know. But you're quite a quick person. I've seen you. I mean, when you're playing football, you mostly shout, but yeah. I've also seen you run at some points, so and you go
0: quite fast. <laughs> Shouting and running. If
2: someone touches you a little bit when you're sprinting, right, I think you do go down quite easily. And I think people sometimes forget about that when they see the Premier League; they forget how fast these players are running and like what supreme athletes they are. And if you go to Usain Bolt and you put a, a fingertip on his thigh when he's running at full pelt, like even though your fingertips probably going to come flying off and go 30 yards the other way <laughs> like, you're going to put him off his sprint right and these are don't get me wrong they're not running at Usain Bolt pace but they're running pretty fast so how can it be that if there's any contact at all that some board of some board of referees who've yeah. never played the game can decide that that's worthy of a ban
0: yes yeah, I, th- I think the the best player to look out for this and and he's recently come under fire from Arsenal Bengals Raheem Sterling like Raheem Sterling I feel so sorry for because the amount of decisions that don't go his way and then do go his way or he gets punished for as you said he's he's a little twinkle-toe winner he's very quick and, and quick off the ball and when you shift the ball and someone pushes you you can't it is sometimes hard to keep your balance and I don't think Raheem Sterling's the sort of player that when he goes down he throws his hands in the air they can look soft but as as you said you've made a point bang on there when you're running so quick or when you're when you're shifting your body one way uh, after doing a step over or, or quickly changing direction, you're not at your best balance at that point. So, even if you get a slight touch, you can't. It would be harsh to some. Sometimes they then say, "Oh, you've dived. You've 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 played for that. You've simulated the contact." Sometimes you can't stay on on your mm. feet. And and the thing is, is the way penalty decisions are going. It almost you almost have to fall on the floor for a penalty decision yeah. to be given. Raheem Sterling, again, there's there's so many examples where he's sort of been tripped as he's on his way in the box and and he sort of looks like he starts skating in a cartoon manner to keep his feet and he can't keep up and then he ends up skewing a shot wide and then it just looks like, oh, classic Raheem Sterling, can't finish. But really, he's tried so hard to stay on his feet, couldn't get the shot away. In my opinion, that should then be a penalty because there's no advantage. He would have ran into the box, Mm. been on balance and got a shot away, but... Because of the need to be on the floor for it to be deemed a foul, you've now got this thing where players feel like they have to go down if they do get a small bit of contact. And then obviously if you're getting a small bit of contact and you're going to the floor, you're going to exaggerate it. So as I said, calling this certain incident a dive, I I know there was controversial Match of the Day with Phil Neville saying you should be allowed to do it and then Shearer saying he should definitely be punished. It's obviously going to divide opinion and I think they've tried to introduce these laws and and this is the first Premier League case where someone's been penalised that we almost forgot about it as well Bernardo Silva's been looked at this season and Richarlison as well with that that penalty Arsenal that was looked at but we forgot that there was this panel because there wasn't punishment so the fact that this has come back in I think as you said opening up a can of worms now now, every time someone dies, people will now remember there are it's these rules. Every, in- every soft
1: penalty, yeah. not, not when someone exactly. dies, every soft
0: penalty, i would be like demands. Yeah. yeah, that's what I mean. It's now people, oh, yeah, why, right, we can get people banned for this now, or we can appeal for this. Like Everton have contested this ban themselves, but the fact now that there's a visible proof that someone can be banned for two games, it's just going to, a new dialogue's going to open up, and it's, I think it's going to start to be tedious with every penalty decision. Why isn't that being looked at by the I, retrospective I think, action panel?
1: I think there's some um, weight to the argument that diving is a skill as well. Ugh. I do. I, uh. I, I honestly do. I, well, I just think that in all sports, this happens. You, you mean if you bend the rules and you can get away with it, then and to get your team marginal gains, then then fair enough.
2: Yeah, it's all well and good because I'm, you know, I'll, I'll stand there. Like, He's a diver. Yeah. send him off, ban him forever. <laughs> but then I think it might have been the England games. Maybe it was might have been Harry Kane possibly like went in the box and someone basically collided with him and he stayed up and then absolutely nothing came of the attack Yeah, yeah. and I was thinking oh too honest yeah. too honest Go Go down. To
0: that's the exact that's the exact point in an ideal world I think when there's unfair contact no matter where you end up and what angle your legs are pointing towards a, a, a foul is a foul you shouldn't have to be on the floor of it to be a foul and I think we ended up creating our own problems for this because the players as George said not a skill but the awareness to think right I've just been clipped I know that's a foul I know that that has affected my balance and my ability to kick the ball or do my next action on the ball they've realized that if I go on the floor then I'll definitely get it whereas some people are naive or probably or probably too honest as you said they they think oh that's hurt me but I can still get the ball I'll try I'll try and then they'll bring it back whenever do you see like a real unless it's in the middle of the pitch and it's like a shirt pulled back and and the players just stop, nothing really gets given now unless someone ends up on the floor and i think that in itself is really wrong and, and this panel again now people will be aware of it maybe nobody's yeah the
2: schmucks on the panel yeah. never played the game not even at five a side level
0: yeah so it'll be interesting to see i think the ban will get upheld because they can't be looked to going back on it already even yeah. though it was soft but now it's just going to be a case of every decision i don't think it's going to have the desired impact as i said ideal world contact is judged as contact and you see how it affects the player but now it's just who can flop the most do you blame Yes, i blame Yes,
1: i don't blame monias as you no. no you're not I'm one it's monias ass has had a torrid couple of years and, you know he's doing his best to come back from the from the brink every time and then he gets slapped with a too yeah. much of the historic too much too ban. Much ban. <laughs> poor bloke
0: ex-match ex officials ex-managers and ex-players are against him ex-players yeah there is there is one oh, ex player. schmucks after all yeah well they might be They might
2: be a really schmucky ex-player yeah there you go
0: and probably there probably is
2: yeah like tim breaker <laughs> uh, i'm gonna sound like Ronald Kuman when Umanias turned up to training and, and that's the <laughs> next section
1: <laughs> who's this fella <laughs>
2: Who's this fella? Who is Sven Mislintat? Seriously. I reckon, because
1: he's in the news. I reckon Jake will have a wicked uh, encyclopedic knowledge of him from the last twenty-four hours, is my guess.
2: On the way, on the way to Arsenal, Sven Mislintat. Also known as and it's written down here, Diamond Eye. Yeah. That's uh him. Diamond Eye, show me sweet Diamond Eye. That's <laughs> That's the new champ for Sven Mislintat, who's not gonna be on the pitch at any point.
0: I gotta say, he's not even a player. But um it's a really interesting, as you said. He's been for a, for a, for someone that's now becoming a head of recruitment at a club. He's got a lot of uh, he's got a lot of screen time, as you will. Uh, there's been quite a lot of hype around him. It's like when you nearly got that Ralph Rangnick bloke. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, wow. Oh no, was it was it
2: you that was it Arsenal that needed him? Or was it England? England it was England, England, wasn't it? England? It was like, well. Wow. He's going to bring all these youth players through. So. Yeah.
1: In It'll fairness, in fairness, he's literally like he—he has masterminded like the the you know the growth of Leipzig. So he's done all right. Yeah, I mean, but Ralph. what have
2: they ever done other than beat Monaco? They did. Yeah, yeah, that one, that, one, yeah. that one's one. correct. Um, Jake, I can see you itching to wax lyrical <laughs> yeah. about. Miss lynn tat
0: Well, so Diamond Eye, as you said, he is yeah. called. um
2: <laughs> sounds, like, sounds like a sort of Wild West it's, it's, yeah, fantasy character. It's, 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 Jake, it. it's
1: Jake's nickname for him. He's trying to get, get yeah, going yeah, yeah. on the podcast. I've no never called, called him that before. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to get on his side. Trust me, Dad.
0: He's called like Diamond called Di- <laughs> Well, the reason he's called that is because he's meant to be this this scouting guru that's been working at Borussia Dortmund. um And he was happy to be at Borussia Dortmund, but. Uh, Had a bit of a falling out with Thomas Tuchel, the previous manager, which is is bizarre that this then dictated his decision because obviously Thomas Tuchel isn't now there. But last season there was sour grapes of Thomas Tuchel. He got sort of banned from the training ground and and interacting with players. So started looking at his options. Uh, Bayern Munich tried to sign him in the summer and been interested before, but now Arsenal have got rid of their head of recruitment, Steve Rowley, who was in charge for 25 years. Uh, so he's brought through a lot of players, and and as well a lot of bad players have been under his tenure. But it sort of is a the reason it's got a lot of press, and I think a lot of interest is because it's the first changing of the guard in the Arsenal backroom staff. It's even Gazidis came out when Arsene Wenger signed his new contract that yes, Arsene Wenger's staying on, but there will be change, and and this is the sign of that change. They've brought in someone from Borussia Dortmund who at 45 years old, that's not. That old at all really for for what he's supposed to be doing, um, and the reason there is excitement is because at Borussia Dortmund he found the likes of Shinji Kagawa, uh, Usman Dembele, and Robert Lewandowski. So there's that real looking forward now that he'll help Arsenal rediscover that sort of form of of finding these these great youngsters and then transferring it into a good team. I don't think they'll want to be following the Borussia Dortmund model exactly where they sell these players. Mm-hmm. Uh, they bought Shinji Kagawa for 350,000 pounds and then he ended up going to Man United and is now the all-time leading Japanese goalscorer in the Bundesliga so he turned out all right we know Robert Lewandowski's good and Usman Dembele then went for 100 million profit so he's got a good track record he's got a brilliant nickname and it's and it's a <laughs> it's a sign of the sign of the change at Arsenal that fans have been looking for and to get him in before January as well is really interesting to see if there are already some moves that that are made in the in the winter window. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting that you say um, Steve Rowley, who's no longer in charge, because
1: you got to ask the question about whether or not he was ever really in charge. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> I think that's very good point. And I think that this is a, a poignant thing about this move, is that it may signal the end of Wenger's uh, at least monopoly over every, everything Arsenal. Um, it's been a, it's been. A friendly dictatorship um, under Wenger and it looks like he's now opening the door to other people into positions of power which I think is, is significant. I also think it's significant when he's uh, left Dortmund um, because they have gone on a huge uh, recruitment spree in the last 12 months of basically trade-picking European talent and if that goes well in the next three or four or five years then then this bloke's stock is gonna be you know it's high now it's gonna he's gonna be basically the, the world leader. Um, the likes of um, Isaac and um, you know you mentioned Dembele, who's always, always been sold on. Um, there was this huge, you know, you could basically make a team of the, of their young recruits. Mm. Um, so Jaden Sancho, I yeah. was about to say Jaden Sancho, exactly. I mean, and and these are guys who who probably aren't quite first team ready yet, but are going to be making that transition in the next three or four years. Um, and he has, I'm sure, this guy was at the forefront of that. And so for him to to jump ship before this this new generation of talent and um, comes through can only be exciting for arsenal fans because he obviously sees this as a huge and it was interesting I re- and I read in the in the Dortmund press release they said the club said you know we couldn't stand in in, in Sven's way for this amazing opportunity at arsenal so i mean they they obviously see it as being a, an amazing opportunity yeah, well, i mean yeah. how, how much freedom is he going to be given at arsenal if, yeah. if he's literally given a chequebook and told told that he's he's going to be able to go and sign? then then you
0: know this could be huge news that's what i was going to say as well it's their press release was quite interesting because mm. they said this really they cited it as a lucrative or or huge offer from arsenal so they were sort of saying like we've done well out of this so i think yeah. it's it's almost like a s- signing mm. arsenal have had to pay a bit of money and i i can imagine his contract's well, very well, good
2: well, maybe they feel as well like he's been there for so long that he's probably got people there that know his Techniques, and they know yeah. where he's getting it from. Maybe, maybe, they maybe, like they yeah, maybe actually, they it.
0: know that he hasn't done any of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they said we've stolen all your secrets, diamond eye, yeah. and now <laughs> <laughs> it's our time to reap rewards. <laughs> it is like a bomb script. You've,
1: you've got, you've got the whole story behind you. <laughs> Yeah, you've been thinking about it. I, I smell some fan fiction here. Already, yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Jake's just there drawing pictures of a topless diamond eye. <laughs> <laughs> topless,
2: without, with or without arsen. Yeah, both of them. <laughs> Two topless blinker <laughs> from Diamondite, topless. Got it. Yeah, and Jake's little note.
1: Never, it. never type Chabi Alonso, Stephen Gerrard fan fiction into Google. That's what I'll say. Well, oh, well.
2: That's Go- what I'm going to do right now. <laughs> while the listeners listen to the jingle for the stat showdown. Stats showdown. So here we are, the most intense moment of Jake's week, and for George, it's just another moment in what has been <laughs> an otherwise intense week. Yeah, the stat showdown. Best out of three for some quick, snappy, sometimes wacky stats that the layman can use down the pub to impress his mates quickly and not some meandering meandering essay about expected goals. <laughs> Jake, I'm looking at you. Or take-ons. I'm still looking at you, Jake. I've
1: got <laughs> no take-ons.
2: No take-ons. But he sounds like he might have expected goals.
1: It sounds like you're on the pitch.
2: Oh, that's Jake. harsh. Jake, you're, you're itching to have the first... Of your stats, shots in yep. George's direction. So go on, take him down.
0: So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go back to Mo Salah for this, and I thought this was ridiculous, really. Um, and again, it's quite simple. It's not expected goals. It's just about goals. Um, so Liverpool take on Chelsea at the weekend. Salah going against his former club. Time to prove his worth fully. Um, if he scores, he'll become the first Liverpool player to score 15 goals in a season since Luis Suarez in 2013-14 and it's only November shows how poor they've been and how they
2: have been poor how hot
0: Salah has been
2: go on George wow me
0: right I'm going to the
1: you know the wowing Brighton for my stat so Brighton have had the fewest shots inside the area of any team in the Premier League with just 41 yet had the joint most shots in the the 6 yard box with 17 it's wacky it is wacky. It's so weird. <laughs> playing like their it. way playing their way into the six
2: yard box. I like it, George. George has gone one nil up. I'm sorry, but telling me that Liverpool haven't been very good for the last three years. It's fine.
0: I started <laughs> that, off with my weakest one. That, that is unbelievable that, though. That, how, how does that happen?
1: Wild. Yeah.
2: Brighton, that that, defying yeah. expectations, defying <clears> belief.
1: <throat> that was just Glenn Murray, isn't it? Really?
2: <clears> yeah, I was yeah.
0: gonna say that's was it Brighton? The general mm, manager. Pascal Gross whipping it in yeah, Right on a exactly. sixpence. Yeah. Glenn Murray getting his head on it. Yeah. Good for Glenn. That's what I say.
2: Yeah, I agree. Now,
1: George, double up. So you've gone from the glamorous Brighton to the even more glamorous Ashley Barnes. Oh, he is glamorous. <laughs> so out of players who, who've, who've played 10 or more games, Ashley Barnes has fouled every 33.6 minutes, which is the sixth in the Premier League, and commits a foul every 28.8 minutes, which is top of the Premier League, which means that he, on average he is engaged in 5.8 fr- fr- uh, fr- infringements. Per game. Per game. <laughs> 5.8. Oh,
2: six just tear,
0: headless chicken tearing <laughs> about
2: <laughs> it is impressive and that's coming from someone who watched Andy Carroll fail someone within six seconds <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Jake come on All is right. yours as aggressive
0: it's not as aggressive but I'm going to have to I think, I think that one is good so I'm going to have to get out my my, big my kicker I think um, again this I didn't want to do two in a row with the Liverpool-Chelsea game but I'm going to have to now uh, Liverpool the only English club Antonio Conte has faced in his managerial career and not beaten He's even beaten Chelsea. When did he beat Chelsea? Juventus. So he's played 25 English teams in his career and Liverpool the only one he's never won against.
2: That is good. That, that's a real pub fact. That's a pub fact point of that one. Jake, you've equalized. You've pulled yes. it back. Now you've got the chance to get the upper hand. Now I've
0: got the chance. And this is, again, one that I find really interesting. But again, <laughs> oh,
2: sounds like you've won this week, George. <laughs>
0: So Leroy Sano this season has been one of the best players and he scored and assisted in the same game on four occasions already in 12 games. Um, if he does that again against Huddersfield, Huddersfield at the weekend, which is, which is likely, um, he would have equaled already the most that someone managed last season. So he would have scored and assisted in five games and only one player did that in 38 games last season, which was Romelu Lukaku, the okay. extra
2: info. Okay Bit long winded <coughs> Yeah
0: yeah, it's
1: Mine, hard. Mine's quite long-winded. simple It looks nicer when you see it <laughs> In Mine, front of you Mine's looking at two of England's uh, Youngest talents and, oh. and their oh, no, And English. their creative ability It's very simple this oh. Jordan Pickford With three Has played more key passes Than Tom Davis this season So who's played two?
2: No oh, way How many Is Tom Davis playing every week as He's
1: well? played at like, 600 minutes I think Yeah Ah There you go that's Pickford's kicking that I've mentioned
0: yeah, I know. He's come back to kick me in the butt.
2: Yeah, exactly. Hey, there he is. Jake's <laughs> coming in with a stand-up routine. Yeah. He's already done his downward eye there. Yeah. Now he's got his Jordan Pickford kicking yeah. bit. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, Jake, you're a loser. Yeah, <laughs> oh, a uh, yeah George, yeah. that 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 one's that one's a bit of me. That.
1: I hope Jordan Pickford doesn't hear that because that's going to only encourage him to keep doing these ridiculous kicks. No, they're not. Rid- the they're brilliant. I mean, he's, he's obviously amazingly talented at doing it, but. I mean Christ it's a, bit, it's a bit of a procession isn't it the way, the way he does it like he's
0: putting on a show <laughs> they, yeah. they say that saves are for the cameras there's kicking's for the cameras oh yeah but you would if I could kick the ball like that I'd be just kicking everything I'd be like <laughs> do you need a pen <laughs> seeing it off kicking it across the room yeah can you walk a hundred yards away yeah. please yeah thank you
2: right cheers mate where can people find you the winner of this week's stat showdown sorry Jake
1: just uh,
0: yeah on twitter on at George Ellick, Elek E-L-E-K and Jake, as for you, they can find me the loser at, on Twitter <laughs> as well uh, at Jake Entwistle, as usual, E N T W I. It seems to just be at Diamond Diet with, with a batch yeah. with <laughs> a picture <laughs> of Sven, isn't at, it? At Pickford Kick <laughs> di- di- Diamond Diology, Pickford-esque, Pickford-esque <laughs> kicking ology. Yes, yeah. there's,
2: there's no H's, but there's lots of naked drawings of Diamond Eye. <laughs> and you can find me at Rob Armstrong <laughs> underscore W H on Twitter. And of course, you can find this very podcast on Deezer, on iTunes, and everywhere where you get your podcasts. Do that usual stuff that all the young kids say. Share, rate, review, subscribe. George Ellick's doing all of them off a different account now because he <laughs> loves it so much. Uh, and yeah, and that's that's about it. Jake, how many drawings of uh, Arsene Wenger and Diamond Eye are you well, gonna I, I, I'm, mid-
0: I'm midway through. Well, I think that's why I lost the stat showdown. I was, already, draw- I was yeah. already getting my next one in, my next piece. I'm sure this one's going to be your magnum opus.
2: I can't wait to see it. Next week, on Defending in Numbers.
1: Defending in Numbers is a Deezer
0: Originals production. You can find and download more episodes on Deezer and all major podcast providers.